Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. Earlier this week, the St. Louis Cardinals announced they'll induct three players into the team's Hall of Fame. They are pitcher Max Lanier, who primarily played during the 1940s and won two World Series with the team. Also being inducted is Jose Oquendo. He's worked for the Cardinals for nearly 40 years as a player, coach, and instructor, earning the nickname The Secret Weapon. And finally, third baseman David Fries. The St. Louis native is a two-time World Series champion and was the World Series MVP during the remarkable 2011 championship run. And let's face it, this season for the Cardinals is not going well. The Cardinals reign supreme at the bottom of the National League standings. They have a record of 10 and 22, so we could also use a pick-me-up. And for that, let's turn to a conversation we had in 2021. Here's former host, Sarah Fenske. Let's return to October 27th, 2011. It's the bottom of the ninth, and the Cardinals are down 7-5. to five. The Texas Rangers are within one strike of winning their first World Series. And then David Freeze swings and connects. Now, that isn't the end, of course. The Rangers score two in the tenth. The Cards battle back with two of their own. The game is tied 9-9 to in the 11th. And David Freeze steps up to the plate again. Freeze hits it in the air to center. We will see you tomorrow night. That game six got the entire city on its feet cheering, and it propelled an underdog team to its 11th championship. That 2011 season and that magical game is the subject of Benjamin Hockman's new book. It's called 11 in 11, a hometown hero, La Russa's last ride in red, and a miracle World Series for the St. Louis Cardinals. Benjamin Hockman is a columnist for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and he joins us today. Benjamin, welcome. This is awesome. Thanks for having me. So it is awesome hearing those calls. It just takes me back to 10 years ago. Was it hard not to smile every time you revisited Game 6 while working on this? Every single time. And Alex, who works with you here, said it best. He goes, every time I hear that, I get goosebumps. And it's true. I just, I'm just i sitting here in the studio. I've heard that call 173 times. And, and the goosebumps pop up, and they will for the 174th, too. And the thing about your book that I had forgotten, thinking back on Game 6, thinking about how great it was, your book makes clear just how unlikely it was that the Cardinals even 
even made it to this point. Coming into that season, did they have high hopes that this was going to be a world championship team? That's a good question. I mean, there's clearly hopes for the Cardinals simply because they're the Cardinals and they're very confident in the way they do things down there at Bush Stadium. But there were a lot of uh, looming questions. Of course, the biggest one of all was would Albert Pujols resign after the 2011 season? And they headed into that season with a big question mark above the stadium. But the team was loaded. They had a lot of good players. But more importantly, they, as we find out during the course of the season, they had good personalities and they had good chemistry. And when they got down 10 and a half games, they didn't think it was over, even though most of the rest of us did. Yeah, most of the rest of us completely wrote this off. Um, but you trace this in your book to this pivotal moment, something I had never heard about, this event called the Knights of the Cauliflower Ear, where you think this all turned around. Tell us what this event was and, and what happened there. Sure. Well, fortunately, I never got cauliflower ear in high school, but uh, those that wrestled did. Uh, did many did, and that's this uh, this <laughs> weird thing that happens to your ear. And the Knights of the Cauliflower Ear have been around for generations here in St. Louis. And annually, uh, these goofballs have a dinner. And I mean, they're they're dignified goofballs. Don't get me wrong. These and, are high prestige goofballs. Correct, correct. But very, this is no veiled profit. This is something where these are business leaders who just mm-hmm. love sports. Yeah, that's well said. And uh, and they they get some big names to come to their annual dinner. And as it was in 2011. The Cardinals were at their lowest point the night of the dinner, but the Cardinals were invited and many of them came, uh, including John Mozeliak, the team general manager, and Adam Wainwright, who wasn't pitching that year because he had Tommy John surgery, but of course he's a fan favorite and uh, one of the most accomplished Cardinals, even at that point, let alone a decade later. Mm -hmm. And Wainwright gets the mic, and he just nailed it that night, and he got everyone fired up. We can do this. Sure, we're down 10 and a half, but we're the Cardinals, and he said so many great things, and players were in the audience, and they got fired up, and then simultaneously, well, not simultaneously, but within the next day or so, teammate Chris Carpenter gives a speech to the team, and that fires up the guys, and suddenly, it's not, we're just going to play this season through, it's Let's see what magic we can make. And so LaRusa, you give LaRusa a lot of credit in this book, and I, I think rightly so, but it wasn't him who rallied this team back to this point of feeling like they could win this. This was these guys doing it for each other. Yeah, I mean, he did his part, of course, but when you get through a season like this, I mean, it's not like a coach in high school or something who's this rah-rah guy who can come in and, and get everybody going, win one for the Gipper, college football, something like that. Uh, I mean, LaRusa did great stuff, don't get me wrong, but it really was a player-driven thing. And that's the special thing about the 2011 Cardinals. If you look at a basketball team that wins a championship, LeBron James and Anthony Davis with the Lakers last year, how many people truly contributed to that? You can maybe name like six more teammates, and that's about it. With the 2011 Cardinals, it was everyone from Albert Pujols to Adron Chambers. Every single person on that roster contributed, at least for one night, that helped make the magic. And this really comes across in this book. You give each guy kind of their little moment where we get to know them, we get to understand their quirks, and then we start to understand that uh, this team is greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, that's really well said, and and that's true. And it, it, it takes a personality like Lance Berkman, for instance, to really 
get the guys going. And Lance Berkman, who was a great player, don't get me wrong, was also a greater force as a personality for the Cardinals. And he was one of those guys that just kind of was a magnet and brought everyone together. But it wasn't just him. So many personalities. you got the Shredder, Nick Punto. <laughs> You've got... I had no idea what the Shredder meant. Boy, your book gave me just a, a vivid portrait of that. Yeah, for those that don't remember or didn't know, Nick Punto famously would rip the jersey off the Cardinal who gets the game-winning hit uh, on the field. And that's why uh, in, in Cooperstown only half of David Freeze's jersey is there because Nick Punto ripped it in half. But it, again, it was just a fun thing. And of course, they had Happy Flight with Raphael Fercal, uh, another big personality on that team. And again, these, these when I say big personalities, it's not like uh, the the... the quarterback jock kind of rule in the school type thing. Mm -hmm. It's more of just kind of like a a welcoming friend who happens to be really, really talented at the sport. And there were many of them. And uh, they had dinners together and they believed in each other. And sure enough, they they made St. Louis history. So yeah, they're way down. Uh, They have the (laughs) Knights of the Cauliflower Year uh, night. And not only did they start winning, they go on a remarkable streak at this point. The people that they needed to lose start losing. It kind of went both ways on this. Yeah, the Atlanta Braves, I'm sure the uh, this book will not sell in Atlanta or the Georgia. I think Georgia. that's fair to say. They yeah. don't want to remember 2011. <laughs> the Braves fell apart uh, historically, infamously. It was it was terrible, but for them. But uh, the Cardinals had to win. Also, it wasn't just that the Braves lost. The Cardinals had to win, and St. Louis did so well in that September, and it led up to the final game of the regular season. The team needed to win, and they needed the Braves to lose, and both things happened. You make the case in this book that this could be the greatest World Series game of all time. Do you think it is? I know that's such a fraught question. But how how is it not? It came down to the final strike twice. A team was about to win the World Series on the final strike and didn't get it, and then they had another chance, the Texas Rangers, and they didn't do it again. That's never happened before, and I can't imagine it. I cannot imagine it ever happening again. I want to read one thing you have from this book. I think you make a great case here that this has become sort of central to our identity as St. Louisans. You write, in St. Louis, it's a question asked on first dates and business lunches, in line to check out at Schnucks or while getting a bush at Bush. It's an icebreaker and a way to instantly bond. It's the new where did you go to high school. And that question is, where were you for Game 6? Uh, Benjamin, in this book, you tell so many different Game 6 stories. And it was just fun to hear these different stories from around the city. Which was your favorite of all the regular guy stories you gathered? Oh, my gosh. That's how you're putting me on the spot. Because uh, I had 11 Game 6 stories that I wanted to feature in there. I mean, I, one of my favorites, uh, because it involves... St. Louis, of course, but the, the state of Missouri and uh, just the zaniness of this is Governor Jay Nixon and uh, two people working with him, Tim Nowak and Dan Meehan. They're in Shanghai on a diplomatic trade mission, uh, but they know Game 6 is going on. So what do they do? They got to, you know, do some important work stuff, but the biggest game of their baseball lives is on. Uh, so they, they don't know what to do. And Governor Nixon himself comes up to him and says, you've seen enough of my speeches. You can sit this one out. And then the governor's like, wait a minute, I've seen enough of my speech. I'm going to sit this one out or at least push it, push it to the last moment. He watches a few innings. And the story is just great because these guys are doing such an important thing. And, uh, I mean, they're overseas, yet uh, they're getting they're getting text messages. And, and the governor's uh, side man is handing them a, a sheet of paper that says, freeze is tripled and things like that. <laughs> that's amazing. That's a great Game 6 story. Here's one that's a little less high stakes, but this one is so sweet. This came from Kevin, who writes on our St. Louis on the Air Facebook page. 
I was at home in South St. Louis. My lovely wife fell asleep on my shoulder, and our 12-month-old daughter was asleep in the next room. I'd silently cheer or fist pump when we tied it up. More than once, I thought to myself, so this is how this incredible season ends, huh? On the home run in the 11th, I did have to stand up from my seat, which woke my wife, and I tried to explain the whole scenario to her. I'm sure I was talking too fast, and she was half asleep. <laughs> it was still unforgivable. Just That story is just so sweet. I think we've all been there. Sure. Except I would have woken up my spouse. Let's go to the phone line. Uh, Pete is calling from South City. Uh, Pete, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Hey, thank you for having me. Hey, so tell us your Game 6 story. Well, it's sort of a lack thereof Game 6 story, oh. because if you remember, um, Game 6 got delayed by a day. That's right. With, uh, with weather. And my father and I were lined up uh, with our uh, our group tickets to have uh, Section 148 really close to home plate, perfect seats for for Game 6. And since it got delayed by a day, I'm a musician, and it lined up and... Uh, <clears throat> Turns out, um, I decided I had I was going to play a show instead of going to the game. Oh, so you and had little, the tickets, you didn't go. Little did I know that it was going to be the greatest <laughs> World Series game in history. And, and uh, Pete, so I have to tell that. I was going to say, when you hear the reminiscences and and uh, you know Benjamin telling all these great stories, does that kind of break your heart each time? Absolutely. Well, no, it's it's pretty much a daily occurrence, like you know, or at least weekly, <laughs> that Game Six gets brought up, and then I get to to tell my shame story of missing missing the the entire thing. Pete, I feel like you learned a valuable lesson here. Next time, don't take that gig, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. But, hey, it was still an amazing night that I'll, I'll cherish forever. Well, Pete, thanks for sharing that story. Benjamin, I imagine for everybody who has a Game 6 story, there's somebody who, for whatever reason, they did have to miss it. I know, I know. That's, and some, some of these stories are... If, if I may, kind of sad. I mean, someone going through surgery. Uh, some of them are very happy. Someone having a baby. And uh, I got a lot of, of these and put it in the book. Uh, one guy was representing our country in the U.S. Navy, huge Cardinals fan, but he was on a submarine and he didn't have access to the game. And he's like, we are on one of the most sophisticated vessels in the United States Navy. I can't watch a ball game, but he was unable to get the game. And he literally did not know what happened until the submarine uh, came up from underwater and he hops out and he checks his phone and he's like, we're going to game seven. That's amazing. I mean, the idea of the submarine having to surface. We got one, uh, another one. This came in from Facebook from Barb. Barb writes, I lived in Chicago at the time. Got home from work in time to watch the last few innings didn't even take off my jacket stood there with the remote ready to turn off the tv if the rangers won so excited and happy when the redbirds won and then came back the next night to win it all four of my brothers were at the game and i'm so envious i watched all of game six during the pandemic and have it saved on my tv so i can relive the most exciting game in baseball ever anytime i want michael also writes on twitter whenever i want to feel great i just turn on the dvr and watch the game from the sixth inning on we heard this from so many people that they have saved this and use it as a pick-me-up. Did you hear that in your report? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. And uh, moreover, I love the people that literally videotape themselves watching the game. And there is this amazing compilation called, if you're on YouTube, uh, Some Nights You Win the World Series. And they take the song Some Nights by Fun, uh, or maybe it's F-U-N. I yeah. don't, I'm, not, I'm too old. I don't know the, what the cool kids are listening to or what have you. Uh, but this song is fantastic. And it's a compilation of all these fans watching and biting their fingernails and running out of fingernails and so nervous. And then, of course, the jubilation when 
when it happens. And in the video, there was one woman who uh, was just a spectacular dancer. Um, she she was in her uh, 80s, and um, I, I was like, who is this dancing granny? And I, and I located her, and I interviewed her for the book, and it was just so much fun to hear her story. And uh, she and she kind of became kind of a, a cult, I don't know, say a cult hero, cult figure, but a lot of people knew about the dancing granny because she was on this video. And uh, so she's in the book, and she shares a story about how she snuck into Game 7. They opened the gates in the 7th, and she bursts in and she was catching confetti in her purse. Well, this is actually a perfect segue. I think we have a caller um, who may have a story that has some parallels to this. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Sandy is calling from Creve Corps. Uh, Sandy, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Hi. Hi, Sandy. Uh, you're, hi. On, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Tell us your Game 6 story. Well, what happened was uh, there were signals going down. We did not have tickets. So we uh, were just walking down Broadway, and we were going to watch the game out by the fence. And it just happened as we're walking down Broadway, um, some of those gates were open, and there wasn't an attendant at the gate. So one of us snuck in, then two of us snuck in, all six of us snuck into the stadium. We said, oh, my God, we're in here. We've got to mingle in. So we mingled, and we went out to the patio and just kind of sat and pretended like we were supposed to be there, and nobody saw us. And then during the end of the uh, innings, a Texas Ranger came out and slammed these tickets down on our de- on our table and said, this game sucks. So we all went inside, and we were in there for David Fries's, uh home run that won the game. It was incredible. So we were just screaming and yelling, and it was incredible that we were there. Sandy, that is amazing. You just gave me the goosebumps. Um, this idea of sneaking in and a Rangers fan gives up. I guess he was right to give up. Sure, sure. And I think a fascinating part of that, that's a great story, Sandy. A fascinating part of it is when you look at the Rangers fans, where they're coming from, a perfect parallel is St. Louis Blues fans. The Rangers had never won a championship, but they had been around for decades, and they had some lifelong fans, and this was their chance. So basically, think about yourself during Game 7, Blues at Bruins, and what if they blew it in the last second? I mean, that's what these Texas Rangers fans were going through. Yeah. I mean, that's heartbreaking from the other side. Let's not even think about that. Let's <laughs> let's forget our empathy. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Mark is calling from St. Louis. Um, Mark, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Tell us your Game 6 story. Well, I just feel like I was the luckiest guy that day. I was at work having lunch around noon, and my brother-in-law calls me. And he goes, hey, I got a game. I got a ticket for the game tonight, game, you know, for game six. Your brother-in-law. You, you must be a good my brother-in-law. brother-in-law. <laughs> yeah, he, whoever was going to go with him couldn't go or whatever. He's like, it's yours if you can come up with, you know, uh, so much money or whatever. So but, he did uh, at least charge you. Sure. <laughs> but you went. Yes, and I just... You know, just fell into it, and it was it was amazing. That was so fortunate. Well, Mark, I'm, I'm so happy for you. And tell me this. I know a lot of baseball fans, they're tempted to leave sometimes. They might head out in the eighth, hopefully not in the World Series. But were you yes. guys ever tempted at any point to say, hey, we got to call it a night? I was tempted because that game was the most crazy game. They were ahead, then they're behind. It was like four times they blew a lead, I think. And it was like, I don't think they're going to win this game, but it was like 90% 
angst and then the payoff was the big win. So no, I was my brother in law the other I have another brother in law who was there and he left early. Oh so I wasn't sitting with him. I'm like Wow. wow. I couldn't believe you left. So. Well, Mark, thank you for no, that story. Yeah, and Benjamin, I find myself wondering, as you ask people this story, are people willing to admit, yeah, I'm that guy who left early and I missed all the good stuff? I would say begrudgingly. Uh, there was one gentleman, and uh, he describes sharing his story as sharing a photo of him from eighth grade picture day. Uh, you know, he's like, the fewer people that see this, the better, but... He was nice. His uh, name is Tim Baker, and uh, he is the man who left Game 6 early. And, and as we're hearing, there are other people, too, that left. But, yeah, it was getting late. Uh, Tim's uh, excuse, if you will, was he was a new father, and I myself mm. am a new father, so I get it. That's I understandable. Understand. But it was, it was Game 6, Tim. And uh, But, yeah, he left, and he's driving on Highway 40, and, and that's when he's hearing uh, the radio calls that uh, we heard the TV call there. But he's listening to KMOX. And that's when he finds out that at the stadium he was just at, history was being made. I feel like this is the big moral that I want to leave people with. Not that you can sneak in the way Sandy did, although that worked out great for her. (laughs) I'm very impressed. But, man, people should not leave in the seventh or the eighth inning. Like, these games can turn around. Well, I think now, because of Game 6, 2011, people refer to that at current games. How could we leave? Remember when they came back in 2011? We can't leave this game in 2021. It's been a good lesson for a baseball-loving town. No we question. are We are talking today to Benjamin Hockman about his new book, 11 and 11. There is so much uh, interesting stuff here, and I've, I've loved hearing these Game 6 stories, but there is one thing I want to talk to you about, Benjamin, that's a little more serious, and this is something you get into in this book, and this is David Fries, who is the hero of this game. And then this stardom ends up becoming almost an albatross for him. Uh, tell us a bit about him and, and why this ended up being just kind of tough for him to live with. Yeah, I mean, when you think of David Fries and what he did, we use the word magic. Uh, you could say he's he's a superhuman for what he did. It's a superhuman accomplishment, two amazing hits in one night. But but to, to also say he's... He's superhuman. He's like really just a human and he battles demons and he battles alcoholism and he's open about this and he the, the fame overtook him and I, I can't imagine uh, what it would be like to walk in any door in St. Louis and have someone recognize you and be excited to see you. And I know that sounds like a cool thing, but Mm. it was overwhelming for him. And and he battled some depression and some tough times. But his best friend says it in the book, Matt Landwehr, he he points out, he goes, look, David changed some lives after game six. He also changed some lives uh, by being so open about battling depression and battling demons because people saw him doing it. And they're like, wow, if David Fries can handle his alcoholism, I'm at least going to give it a shot. And he really did pull it together. It's, it's a happy ending here for him. Um, from, from studying him and reporting on him, what do you think saved him in the end? Well, and he'll say it too, it's his wife. Uh, I, mean, I mean, when you find that one, when you find that teammate that can, I mean, we used to talk about teammates in baseball, but when you find that life teammate, uh, that person is there for you uh, for literally every day. And, uh, and she helped him find the way, and now he's living a great life. He's got a home in Austin, Texas, uh, but he comes here to uh, St. Louis to visit often. I heard he was at Prossel's Deli just the other day. That St. Louis Post-Dispatch columnist Benjamin Hockman talking with former host Sarah Fenske in 2021. The Cardinals announced earlier this week that David Fries, pitcher Max Lanier, and the secret weapon Jose Okendo will be inducted into the team's Hall of Fame this August. Hockman is the author of 11 in 11, 
a hometown hero, LaRusse's Last Ride in Red, and a Miracle World series for the St. Louis Cardinals. And here's to hoping some of those 2011 vibes might rub off on this year's team. Some nights I stay up cashing in my path. Today's episode was produced by Alex Hoyer. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.